Welcome to the Animal Wellness Podcast, all about improving the lives of animals with better policies and practices in government and business. Brought to you by Animal Wellness Action, where we believe helping animals helps us all. Here's your host, Joseph Grove. Greetings and welcome to the Animal Wellness Podcast. Well, it has been a minute, as the young people say, since we last posted a podcast. So thank you, audience, for staying with us through this hiatus. One thing my producer Ryan Seville and I are committed to doing next year is producing more content on a regular basis. There is a lot to talk about. We look forward to seeing you more often and with more information as the new year unfolds. And certainly because it is the end of the year, it is a great time to reflect on what went well and what we hope to do in the months ahead. And that is the focus of today's podcast. And also because it's the end of the year, it's the appropriate time to thank you, our audience, for your support of Animal Wellness Action and its sister organization, the Center for a Humane Economy. Your donations with us go a long way. Here to talk about some of the ways that money was used and the advocacy was used in 2023 are the president of Animal Wellness Action and the Center for a Humane Economy, Wayne Paselli and its director of international, Jennifer Skiff. So let me start by saying a quick howdy-do to these good folks and welcome them to the show. Thanks, Joseph. Good to be with you. Thanks, Joseph. Yeah, Jennifer, appreciate your being on the show. You've been our guest a couple of times, and it's always nice uh, to have you back. So, Wayne, let's, let's get right to it. I have to say that the amount of time I've seen you spend on the Hill this year was mm. unprecedented. You have been super busy working with legislators. What are the things about which you are most proud looking back at 2023 and getting done for animals? Well, Joseph, we have remade the national animal protection agenda in the in the Congress. Uh, we have initiated a raft of legislation. You know, AWA Animal Wellness Action has only been around really since April of 2018, so about five years little bit more coming out to coming into our sixth year and we've gotten 12 bills that we had a principal role in advocating for since inception of the organization and a year ago in 2022 we really got five major bills over the finish line the biggest one in my mind just in terms of consequences for animals degree of difficulty um prior difficulty in getting any change in this domain of animal research and testing was the FDA Modernization Act. And uh, that was a biggie. We also had a, a bill that was aligned with that, the Reducing Animal Testing Act that we passed. We hitched onto the FDA Modernization Act. We got the Big Cat Public Safety Act done. We've had Carol Baskin and her husband, Howard Baskin, on the show before. And they were tremendous partners as we helped shepherd that legislation to, to passage. We tweaked a necessary tweak, the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act, which created the first federal authority to oversee horse safety and well-being at all of America's thoroughbred racing tracks. And uh, we also had a hand in the Shark Fin Sales Elimination Act, uh, an issue that I've worked on for many years and uh, some great work by some dedicated staffers with Chairman Raul Grijalva, then Chairman Raul Grijalva at the House Natural Resources Committee, Mike McCall, the current chair of the Foreign Relations Committee, 
uh, Senator Cory Booker, who's a huge champion of animals. So we had a great close. I mean, getting five bills done in the Congress, I can't underscore uh, what an extraordinary amount of productive activity that is. You know, in a two-year Congress, uh, there are 15 to 20,000 bills introduced and typically 200 passed. So you're talking about less than 1% pass, a fraction of 1%. So getting five bills over the finish line was, I think, extraordinary output. It's in different domains in animal protection, so different committees of jurisdiction, which complicates the uh, task of getting things done because you have to really dig in, know the members of the committee, know the staff, uh, to get things to get things moving. So in 2023, having gotten a number of items off of the docket, we really pursued a farm bill strategy. Every five years, the Congress does something called the farm bill, which is an omnibus bill, kind of a potpourri, pulling together a set of mildly correlated public policy issues that fit under the banner of the farm bill. So it has to do with commodities, agricultural commodities, nutrition programs, uh, land conservation, agricultural research and the like. And much to the dismay of the Ag Committee over the years, animal welfare. I have really worked hard to wedge animal welfare into the farm bill because the Agriculture Committee has jurisdiction over many animal welfare issues, but the Ag Committee doesn't do, sadly, hearings on these important bills that are introduced, oversight of the agencies that have a role in implementing animal welfare policy. So we have to force these issues into the farm bill because we have no other choice. So we've really undertaken a brisk agenda with key partners. The big three items are the FIGHT Act, a federal animal fighting proposal to strengthen dramatically and already pretty good federal law on animal fighting to combat dog fighting and conch fighting. We also have been working to build support for the SAFE Act, which is a ban on horse slaughter. And specifically, the area is we've, we've stopped horse slaughter in the United States over the years. No more horse slaughter plants operate in U.S. Uh, states. And the problem is we're still live exporting horses and other equids to Canada and Mexico for slaughter. So we're trying to shut that down. And then third, uh, we're working with Grade 2K USA and the Greyhound Protection Act to close out Greyhound Racing and also to ban simulcasting, which is the broadcasting of live racing from foreign jurisdictions where US gamblers see the broadcast image at gambling enterprises like casinos and the like, and then can bet on that, propping up those foreign tracks, which may have no animal welfare standards at all, and that bring along the same set of animal welfare problems that greyhound racing typically does. We've got a number of other issues, but those have been three, Joseph, uh, that were really important. We've built incredible bipartisan support for each of them, but the farm bill has been delayed. It was supposed to be completed by September with forces that are much larger than us really driving that timeline. That bill has been kicked into 2024. So we're going to, at the right time, maneuver to get our amendments, our bills included as amendments to the farm bill. So I would say that this has been a year of building support. We've got seven or eight other items that we have initiated that really constitute this very broad all animals agenda. Uh, but 
I think our accomplishments really are in some other domains in terms of very practical uh, gains that we have secured because we have multidimensional work, right? We work in the courts. We work with corporations to get them to change the way they do business, whether it's R&D or supply chains or the like. Um, we do undercover investigations and digital investigations. We drive media attention on issues. So we're trying to influence culture. Uh, we're also trying to influence government and business. And if you look at our gains, which I posted a blog recently that talk about a number of areas where we've made progress, it's mostly extra legislative, although there are some legislative items that are regulatory, legal, uh, corporate, uh, but really significant stuff. I know one of the things we celebrated most was the Supreme Court decision on Prop 12. Our lawyers created and submitted a couple of briefs on that, or at least one brief on that. So I know that in terms of extra legislative activity, we were very involved there. Talk about what we've done for the crate-free future that is so important to our agenda. Yeah, well, the Crate Free Future is one of our many campaigns. You can go on our website, animalwellnessaction.org. You mentioned our sister organization, Center for a Humane Economy.org. And you'll see uh, that we take on about 20 major campaigns to help wild animals and domesticated animals. And we are really looking to address the biggest problems of animal use and exploitation in society, like animal testing and research, uh, the trade in wildlife parts, also factory farming, but we also are trying to finish off uh, enterprises that have outlived their usefulness to society and that exact a terrible toll on animals. And that would be horse slaughter, greyhound racing, dog fighting, cock fighting, you know, other blood sports, spectator sports. You know, it's an endless list to be perfectly honest with you, but we're zeroing in on, on getting them. But the crate free and cage free future efforts that we engage in are really designed to move American and global agriculture away from intensive confinement as a routine animal housing strategy or practice toward more extensive systems. And those animals matter, right? A pig or a chicken feels pain just like any other uh, mammal or bird. And we disassociate ourselves in some ways from the consumption practices that we engage in as individuals and you know from the effect on on these creatures i mean they're living beings their lives matter to them just as much as our lives matter to us and the least we can do for animals the least is to make their short lives not full of torments every day and misery and privation so the Supreme Court case that you mentioned was National Pork Producers Council v. Ross. And Ross is Karen Ross, the secretary of the California Department of Food and Agriculture, representing the state on a ballot measure that voters approved that I had a big hand in initiating um, in 2017 and then it passed in 2018 called Proposition 12. And that measure built on California's anti-cage confinement laws and really strengthened the space allotments for animals or extended the space allotments for animals. And it also stipulated that pork, eggs, and veal sold in the state could only be sourced from farms that gave the animals enough room. 
the Prop 12 standards, whether they were in California or in Iowa or New York or California, wherever in the United States or elsewhere in the world, they had to meet those space requirements. The pork producer sued to challenge it. We won in the lower courts. We won in the appellate courts. We had multiple briefs that we submitted from our agricultural veterinarians as well as our legal team. But we also worked on the framing of this for the public because the justices pay attention to the broader uh, discourse in society on these issues. And we framed and fashioned the arguments and in the, in the court, uh, a conservative court with six justices appointed by Republican presidents, three by Democrat presidents. We won a five to four ruling, a close ruling, but a very, very critical uh, case, the most important one uh, that's ever been decided on the animal welfare front upholding California's right to adopt restrictions on, on mistreatment of animals and also restricting commerce that relates to that mistreatment and the food safety problems that intensive confinement spawns. But it was much bigger than Prop 12. It had effects on many, many other laws. And we've cemented that now the agribusiness uh, trade associations that are uh, shilling for big factory farms, including foreign-owned factory farms like Smithfield Food. Foods, which is a Chinese-owned conglomerate that controls more than a quarter of U.S. production. And in China, they have high-rise factory farms, 29 stories high, where they completely disregard the interests of the animals. And if they were to wipe out our state laws, they could bring those giant factory farms perhaps to the United States. We want none of that. So it's just crucial that we defeat this EATS Act. And we did a lot of work in Congress to build opposition to that. But in more broadly, Joseph, you asked about our our cage free future campaign that case was crucial in allowing us to move forward on that but there was a big development that i have also worked on for many years that culminated this year it was the u.s department of agriculture probably reluctantly but pushed finalized the first ever farm animal welfare standards in federal law it was the organic livestock standards act which stipulates not only no cages and crates for pigs and chickens, but no routine mutilations like tail docking or, or ear clipping, outdoor access, including access to pasture for the animals so they can live and breathe and walk like animals and aren't infused, don't have the air completely infused with the ammonia and waste that, that dominates the atmospherics of a factory farm. And again, animals built to move should be allowed to move. I mean, these crates and cages, they can barely they can barely move a few inches. So this affects these new rigorous organic uh, standards. Organic has, has been around for about 20 years. And any of you who shop in the marketplace and all of us need food, you're shopping. Most of us have purchased organic foods. It means that no pesticides, uh, for animals, it often had no antibiotics, no hormones, but it never was applied to animal welfare. Now, this is the first time with this long list of animal welfare standards by species. So this is now in effect. It was adopted, this organic livestock standards, the first farm animal welfare standards. Now, it covers 60 million animals. If you think about the consequences for the lives of 60 million animals, it's staggering. But what if consumers say, listen, I don't trust this conventional meat product because there are no legal standards other than say in california with a prop 12 standard which is just the space requirement what if that turns into consumers saying i want 
to buy animal products that I know come from farms that are paying attention to a comprehensive set of animal welfare centers. Well, that may be 600 million animals in five years or 10 years, or it could be 6 billion animals because we're raising 10 billion in the United States every year alone. So that is a really consequential effort. And then we're working with partners in other states to extend these anti-confinement standards. So it's a big area of work for us, anti-factory farming, and assuring that, again, this simple principle that all animals deserve human treatment. Yeah, it's nice from a consumer standpoint, because I think a lot of consumers believed that part of the organic label had already implied that some level of decency or extra decency uh, had been meted out to the animals involved. So this, this not only creates something, but it helps the label comport to perhaps some latent expectations of the people already buying those products. So that's that's a huge move. Thank you for all of that, Wayne. Animal wellness action depends on people like you to complete our work. Our recent victories to protect big cats, spare beagles from pharmaceutical tests, and convince Nike to stop killing kangaroos for shoes would not have happened without the financial support of our donors. Become one today at any amount. Visit animalwellnessaction.org forward slash donate to join our fight against animal cruelty of all kinds. That's animalwellnessaction.org forward slash donate. I want to move next to talk about a, a subject that is frequently the subject of our social media posts and our emails. That is the kangaroo. Jennifer Skiff does more work than anyone on our team uh, for kangaroos and the kangaroos are not shoes campaign. We have a special microsite if you want to learn more about this. It's kangaroosarenotshoes.org. Jennifer, tell us about the progress we've made for Australia's wild kangaroos. A lot. I think we started this four years ago, Wayne. It has grown and grown and grown. And I, I'll, I'll start by saying I'm a, I'm a U.S. citizen. I was born here, but also an Australian citizen. And, and I've had the privilege of getting to know kangaroos over 30 years and spend time with them, even fostering them. So when we started this campaign, it was very interesting because a lot of the Australians that I knew um, weren't aware of the commercial harvest of kangaroos and and who was who was leading that, you know. And I, I have to admit, I was even a bit surprised when Wayne brought this campaign forward and to learn that it was some of the the largest sportswear shoe producers were driving were driving this mass slaughter every year of a couple million kangaroos and then also their joeys that were collateral damage of the shoots so we have really built a massive coalition over the past few years of people from all over the world. But the important thing here is that the Australians themselves, who have been extremely active and growing more and more aware, putting forward, uh, even you know, in their own parliament, many, many different proposals to stop this commercial shoot in Australia. A couple of weeks ago, we had a global day of protest against Adidas. We this year, I've had seen huge success with um, Puma and Nike and New Balance pledging uh, to end the use of kangaroo leather in, in their sports shoes, which are mainly soccer cleats. And so a couple of weeks ago, there was a global, global day of protest. And it was amazing to see people in cities all over the world, 30 cities 
in the world, from Italy to the Netherlands, to Germany, to Australia, to New Zealand, of course, in the United States, in New York, in Los Angeles. And it was a beautiful thing, actually, to see how many people care and, and want this to end. I, I woke up this morning to this fantastic video that was put together by um, by our, our partners in Australia that actually made me uh, tear up this morning to see how big this campaign has gotten and um, and where we're going with it, frankly. It's, it's unstoppable now. So that's the gist of it. But the, what you're saying is, you know, since since we launched the campaign, the commercial slaughter of kangaroos has declined uh, by more than 700,000 animals. And that's based on what the government, the government statistics, that's huge. That's just huge in and of itself. And so we're really making some great headway and it's unstoppable. Well, and let me just chime in, Jennifer. Thank you yeah. for all your great, thank you for all your great work on this. And I think one thing that you embody for us is your collaborative approach and working with other groups in Europe and in Australia and New Zealand and in the United States. You know, none of us can do this alone. And we value collaboration. I hear from so many people, these groups have similar missions and purposes. Why don't they work together? Well, we're doing our best to work together with others. And the Aussies have been great. And I will say, I think they've told you and me this in our work with them, that they were feeling beaten down in Australia, that they felt like this was a slaughter where the government was driving all this propaganda saying, oh, there are too many kangaroos and it's a big industry and it's a lot of profits for people. And then it was an export market. There are not very few kangaroos are consumed for meat in Australia and very few consumed for the skins. It's really a global market. And these brands that you mentioned, Nike and Adidas and Puma and New Balance and Mizono and others, these are global brands. They're selling soccer cleats, the most popular sport in the world, in 200 countries. So when we came in with our Kangaroos Are Not Shoes campaign, we said, no, this is nonsense in Australia. These are native species. These are animals who have been on the Australian landscape for 15 million years compared to tens of thousands of years for homo sapiens in Australia. I mean, we are latecomers to the Australian continent. Kangaroos evolved in this, in this massive continent, uh, almost as big as the United States. We have 330 million people. The, Australia has 25 million people. Most of those 25 million people concentrated um, on the coasts. And there's vast areas of open lands and wild lands in Australia. And the kangaroos are part of that landscape. And they're not bothering anybody in almost any of these places. They're, they're pretty gentle herbivores. And we said no. And we, we fortified the Australian groups. And we, we worked with them to develop strong positions against the slaughter and said, no, we're with you. And your arguments and your instincts are correct. And to get three big companies this year from the Center for Humane Economy leading this campaign, getting Puma in March, uh, a global brand based in Germany, getting Nike, one of the big global brands. If you look at any brand strength of all the companies in the world, Nike's it. We got them 10 days after we got Puma. And then in September, we convinced New Balance after some negotiations with the company. That's three of the five biggest brands in athletic shoes in the world. And our campaign also had swept in Diodoro, which is an Italy-based company, 
in 2021. So we've got four of the five brands. Now it's just Adidas, and we are working hard to get Adidas. And you're mentioning the 30 cities that did protests. The subject or object of those protests was Adidas, or Adidas, as the Europeans call the company. And this is just unacceptable that Adidas is sourcing skins from native wildlife, allowing commercial shooters to massacre these animals on a scale that's 10 times bigger than the Canadian seal hunt that I fought for many, many years and that dropped down by more than 95% in terms of that kill because we were able to close foreign markets to uh, these baby seal skins. That's what we're doing here. But that kill of harp seals and hooded seals in Atlantic Canada was focused on the babies. They were going in to kill the babies. They left the mothers alone because their furs were not of commercial value in the global marketplace. Well, the Australian kill, the skins and the fur of the, of the kangaroos is what they want. So they kill the adults, but many of the adults are lactating females with relatively newborn uh, offspring called the joeys. So you mentioned that in addition to the one, and a, one to one and a half million adults, there are three to 500,000 joeys killed. And we've been dropping those numbers down because of our campaign. But this is, this is barbarism. And how Adidas could say this is a humane and sustainable hunt when they have these people going out in the middle of the night, shooting in by spotlighting the animals and shooting in darkness from 100 meters and orphaning these joeys. How can that possibly be called humane? It meets no common sense test of that. So we are committed to finishing in 2024 um, the, getting the top five global brands. And that means Adidas needs to get on board with this program. And I, I beseech the leadership of Adidas, which is a, a well-known global brand. Why would you take this risk, this reputational risk? It's a tiny portion of the fabrics you need for your shoes. Stop killing wild animals in their native habitats and orphaning hundreds of thousands of joeys by creating a commercial demand for these products. This is unacceptable. So it was a year of gains, but we also know we've got more work to do, which is why we want people to continue to support this effort and join us. Here's a campaign everybody can help. Spread the word, write to your lawmakers about the Kangaroo Protection Act and the US House and the US Senate, and let's get on with this task of ending this commercial trade in kangaroo parts. Orphaning the Joeys, is is almost an, an antiseptic way of, of describing you know their fate wayne because you know you know and we've talked about before that australian law is such that these orphan joeys are perforce of that law bludgeoned to death on the spot if they can be if they can be apprehended in time and usually of course that's accomplished by by swinging these these infants against truck bumpers uh what what even among that brutal scenario of the hunt overall could be more brutal uh, than that. Jennifer, tell us too, uh, and, and I see you've got your hand up and say please what you will, but before we move away from kangaroos, uh, say a couple of words about our going after Dick's Sporting Goods, a retailer, so we're not just targeting the manufacturer. We want the outlets to know that it's unconscionable to market these products. And then I think you had a, a story you wanted to share with us 
about a kangaroo? First of all, let me just say, Wayne, thank you. You are a strategist and you you are a leader amongst all of us. And you you bring you bring so much common sense to all the work that we do. And I know that there are people all over the world who uh, who I've met, especially this year, who are, are doing a lot of activism, uh, gentle, gentle activism, you know, peaceful activism, but just saying this is wrong, this is wrong. And you have the ability to um, put it all in, in, a, in a very, very clear cut and understandable perspective. It gets very hard for a lot of us who when we see, and in this case, I see the bludgeoning of the Joeys. I see, we're, we look at the worst of the worst. I always like to say this to people. We look at the worst of the worst, and then we come up with a plan on how to achieve a result. And on our team, Wayne, you're the one who sits down with us. Yes, you help, you help, you inspire us to think outside of the box, but uh, we, we are doing such great things as a team and I credit you because it wasn't just when you founded these organizations, but this has been your lifelong quest, and um, and we're all the, all the better for it. So I'd like to I'd like to say that. So no, thank you. Um, most people haven't had the opportunity like I have to actually foster a Joey to to have a Joey in in your home, a one that's put, been pulled out of a, po- a pouch from either you know a. Uh, its mother has been killed by a car or it has been um, uh, it has been come off a, a commercial shoot. Someone's pulled it out of the pouch of a mother that's dead or or has been it's been just left to die. Uh, there are people called wildlife carers in, in Australia. They're just ordinary people who who help raise these joeys. It takes a year of formula to you know raise a joey. And, uh, and lots of love and care and, and also walking around with a, a sling that they they somersault into because they're used to being carried around. Uh, but the story I want to tell is one day I was at a bookstore and in an area that had had uh, a few years ago, a few years before, it was called Prevely in Western Australia. It had a horrific fire that had gone right through the town. It was a very, very fast moving fire. And this gal told me that she had had this joey that she had raised to an adult and often the carers those joeys stay in the area uh and visit you know every now and then come and visit their parents if you will and and i've seen this personally i at first when people told me that i didn't believe it but i've seen it personally it's a beautiful thing anyway she said she was packing up the fire was just fast and the, she she was just grabbing everything she could and put their put everything they owned in that they could in into a station wagon and they called she called out called out for the animals the animals got in the car and she they were driving as fast as they could down this dirt road to get to get to safety and their kangaroo that, that she had raised was hopping it, toward them they stopped the car. She literally opened the back door of the car and the kangaroo hopped in, you know, the kangaroo hopped in. And I think people don't understand these, these animals are sweet. They're like, they're, to me, I'm a big 
dog enthusiasts, obviously. And, and they're like little dogs, you know, and, and they're sweet. And when they're in their mobs, their groups, their families, yes, they have a hierarchy and the males are, are they, they box each other. It's no kidding. But I'm just needed to tell that story because I want people to understand just how, how connected, you know, we all are. And so our campaign, our Dick's campaign, which Joseph, you kindly thought of that, or brilliantly thought of that slogan I mentioned to someone. Sinisterly, Machiavellianly, yes. The slogan is, don't be a dicks. We're asking dicks really to stop selling shoes that use uh, kangaroo leather, um, no matter no matter who's producing them. And so it's it's a nice campaign. We, we don't want to put dicks out of business or anything like that. We just want them to stop. They know it's not ethical. They're very well aware. And we're asking them to be honest and true to their own ethos. So yes, don't be a dick as, as don't be a dicks, as we often say to each other. Critical difference. Critical difference, Jennifer. You got to say, don't be a dicks. (laughs) I know. Yeah. I made that mistake in an email, but luckily it was just staff. So we all had fun with it. But thank you, Joseph. Very good. Wayne, I know we're, we're coming close to a hard stop. And I want to talk about what you have in mind for the year ahead. It's year two of the 118th Congress. So a lot of it is do or die. The farm bill been moved over. What are the top three things you want to get done next year? I know there's a lot more, but what are the top three things you want done next year? Well, I think in Congress, when we're talking about animal wellness action, you know, it was a good year for us in really making the case against horse slaughter for human consumption. And the the big exclamation point on that issue was New York State adopting a very comprehensive law against horse slaughter for human consumption as well as animal consumption. So you can't kill the animals even to feed them to, to, to other animals. And New York is one of our biggest states population-wise, and it joins California, our biggest state in the U.S., Texas, our second biggest state, and then Illinois, our fifth biggest state by population in having state bans on horse slaughter for human consumption. So when you go into a congressional fight and you come in with four of your five biggest states having policies against this, it makes it much easier to fashion your majorities. And I can tell you because I spend a lot of time on Capitol Hill lobbying and advocating for animals and meeting with senators and representatives and their staff. We have super majorities in the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate uh, to ban horse slaughter. There were 400,000 American horses slaughtered for human consumption in 1990, 30 plus years ago. Now it's down to 20,000 all live exports to Canada and Mexico. So it's been reduced by 90 percent. So we have made this progress because we've stopped all the slaughter in the U.S. Now we need to deal with this final piece of live exports. And that's a definite top priority. I think we can finish off this this tawdry, barbaric industry that's not even an industry. It's just a loose collection of kill buyers and transporters and a couple of slaughterhouses in Canada and some slaughter operations in Mexico. And then I... I really am excited to say that working with Gray 2K USA, we can end Greyhound racing in the U.S. This is a 100-year-plus enterprise. Just a generation ago, there were 60 tracks in the U.S. Now there are just two. There are foreign tracks that are broadcasting their images at gambling corporations here in the U.S. 
that's profiting, that's causing profits to be directed to those foreign tracks because U.S. gamblers are are giving money that's going back to those tracks in some form. And we can stop all of that. And that's a real priority. And then third is the FIGHT Act, fighting inhumane gambling and high-risk trafficking uh, is the extended name. The acronym is the FIGHT Act to really create more enforcement tools because enforcement of animal protection laws is so critical. One thing to pass the law, but then you've got to be able to enforce it. This will add enforcement tools to eliminate dogfighting and cockfighting across wide swaths of the United States. We have a great national law. We have many good state laws. We have no territorial laws, but we have a federal law that applies to the U.S. territories. But we need to enforce the law. I mean, Puerto Rico still has dozens of openly operating cockfighting arenas. Guam has one that I've been to. I went in undercover at, uh, at a Guam facility one time. We know of other pits throughout the country. We know of thousands of cockfighting breeders. It's all illegal. This is, an, this is a criminal enterprise. These are organized criminals, often involved in other crimes, and it all must end. And we are you know, working hard for that day. So those are just a few, Joseph. We've got, you can go to animalwellnessaction.org and see the robust set of campaigns and activities. Legislation is part of it, but courtroom work, investigations, or corporate campaigns, it's very diverse, right? I mean, the what we're doing when you try to drive social change is you pull so many different levers. And I think that's what we're best at, is figuring out a strategy and executing that strategy with messaging and framing, being at the front end, getting thousands of individuals, hundreds of thousands of people involved in advocating for this, providing financial support, writing to lawmakers, writing to corporations, bringing in other groups, uh, publicizing these issues, telling the American public and the global public that we can do better, that animals matter. You know, Jennifer talked about those orphan joeys. I mean, she is right with me that we want to have wild animals in the wild, but when they are in distress and they can't survive on their own, that's where wildlife rehabilitation comes in. That's the only circumstance really when we give aid and support to these animals. But there are so many things that we can do and must do to help animals. What we try to focus on are the biggest problems to scale up animal protection to help millions and billions of animals. And we also really focus on zeroing out these horrible practices that have endured for decades or centuries, but we're on the cusp of winning. And any movement needs to win. It is encouraging to our supporters. It shows them that their work makes a difference. You can get lost in the numbers. Two million kangaroos, 10 billion farm animals, millions of animals used in testing a laboratory. It becomes an abstraction. We can close these out. We can save 20,000 horses a year from long-distance transport and being butchered for meat that nobody needs, that nobody really wants. A tiny set of people in the world consume horse meat. We can end these greyhound racing tracks and give these animals a livable circumstance that doesn't have them in a, in a cage for 22 hours every day with just hundreds of injuries at every track, broken backs and broken legs. And 
with animal fighting, my God, you know, there are millions of fighting birds that are being reared in the U.S. There are tens of thousands of dogs raised for fighting. We've won the case. The moral case is clear. No sensible person supports this. There are a handful of politicians who defend these atrocities against animals. We've won the debate. Now we need to execute. We need to enforce. And that's really the other aspect of what we do. So 2024, like every year, is, is a huge set of challenges to confront us. But I think if you invest in us, what you'll get is strategy and experience and execution that will deliver for animals like no other organizations in the world. Thank you for listening to the Animal Wellness Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and follow Animal Wellness Action on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. To stay current with all of our news and information and to take action to help animals, sign up at animalwellnessaction.org. Until next time, remember that helping animals helps us all.